This week, we dive into a side of addiction recovery that I get asked about a lot, codependency, or in other words, what it's like and how to deal with being the spouse or loved one of an addict. My guest, friend, mentor, and sponsor in the 12-step program, Mandy from Vintage Revivals, is sharing her story of being married to a pain pill addict and how she set herself free from the shackles of addiction with the 12 steps. All right, today, you guys, I have a special guest who is not only a longtime friend of mine and someone who inspired me to start my own blog, but also my sponsor um, in the 12-step program So <laughs> that I talk about a lot. And her name is Mandy Goopler. And Mandy is... Um, I'll let her tell you guys like what she's up to, but she is the blogger behind Vintage Revivals, which is an amazing, amazing DIY home decor kind of blog. The first thing that I ever spray painted, I used Mandy's tutorial from from forever and ever ago. That is ancient. I probably should update that tutorial. (laughs) <laughs> no, but I really, when we first, when Neil and I first got married, I was like, okay, we have no extra money. So I went down to the DI Desert Industries, which is like our thrift shop in, well, in Utah, and bought like an entire set of bedroom furniture and took it home and spray painted it white. With oh your my tutorial. gosh. I feel like so. every good story should start with spray painting. Like, like, I feel like everyone who has a good design sense in their life, it all started with thrifting and spray painting. The roots are always yeah. spray paint. Always okay, spray paint. I love it. Well, so now, <laughs> now you've expanded far beyond spray paint. Tell us yeah, what you're totally. up to and what you're all about. So, Vintage Revival started in 2010. So, I'm kind of a grandma blogger. And what's started as like really easy DIY projects like spray painting have turned into quite the life. Um, a couple of years ago, my husband, Court, who you'll hear me talk about quite a bit, Court and I bought a hundred year old mercantile store in Santa Clara, Utah. And it was kind of abandoned and falling apart and just, just kind of sad because it was kind of the heart of this little town. And we bought it and we have been renovating it and turning it into our house. So we started spray painting. We are now like eyeball deep in 24-7 renovation. So fun. <laughs> but like the coolest renovation I've ever seen. It's, thank you. It is remarkable what you guys have done with the Merc. Aw, And I've you. seen it with my own eyes. So it, that was a special treat. It is a special place. There is just something about old buildings that you can't there's like a spirit about them that you can't like replicate or buy at target or yeah. <laughs> you know like it totally. just has like people have lived here like they this is part of their lives and so yeah we love it so much so I do vintage revivals um I also co-founded a software company called influence it that helps um influencers and bloggers that do sponsored content um streamline that process in million times easier and i know that you use and love influence kit so thanks for supporting we love that influence kit. yes <laughs> and it's so so that if someone's like well i'm not an influencer what does that mean basically if i have like a sponsored post with nordstrom and we agree on you know a fee and then i produce all this content for them and i typically 
try to do a like go a little bit above and beyond what they ask me to if I can. And we are able to pull in the statistics from all of the reach, all of the people that saw it on social media, on different platforms, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook. And then also we track like how many people came to that blog post, how long people sat and read it. And then all of those analytics are given back to the company like Nordstrom so that they can see, oh, this was our return on our investment. And this many people saw this post so that even if someone doesn't click through and make a purchase on my blog, they know that X amount of people saw it and maybe they're going to go in store and buy something or it's going to trigger them to think about that post that I wrote later on if they're trying to solve some problem like what do I pack for my summer vacation. So yeah, it is very helpful for us. Thank you. I feel like blogging and kind of this influencer space is kind of the wild west. Everyone's just making it up as they go. There's not a lot of tools and systems in place. And so we just felt like there was this massive gap when it comes to sponsored content. And that is how we support our family. And so Influence Kit just makes it so, so easy. So that's kind of what I do. And also, I don't know when this talk is coming out, but I am also launching another site called Happy Happy Houseplant. That is all about houseplants and taking care of your plants and learning how to not kill them and is geared toward women who love decor and they love their house so beautiful and they want plants, but they just can't stop killing the plants, which we have also talked about. (laughs) Yes. So I have that coming out on top of, you know, renovation, three children and a really wonderful husband and two dogs, you know. Just all the things. Well, and I'm I'm excited for that too because I kill everything except (laughs) I every living thing that I've been in charge of except for my children and my dog I've killed. So, well, I feel like plants are so fun, and they they like really there is something about plants that just make people feel so happy, and then when they start to die, it just there's all this guilt and. So we're just all about teaching people how to figure out why your plant is dying, how to take care of specific plants, and just like setting yourself up for success because my gosh, I'm sure a million of your listeners have bought a fiddly fig and killed it, and it is not their fault. It I is have. the fiddly fig. Yes. I have. It, <laughs> we, that saga played out on Instagram stories. And <laughs> it was like, there's one leaf left. Should we, yes. should we throw on the towel now? Or... Okay. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so we so have I need your course. Too. I need your course. I'm excited to take it and it's use it. Be so and, good. Yeah. Okay. So we're actually not here to talk about as much as <laughs> plants are fun and influence kit is fun. We're here to talk about my um, actual ad- favorite subject. Yes, both of ours um, yes. addiction recovery. So to set up a little bit of background, and we've talked about openly, if if you're finding this episode and this is the first one you've ever listened to, my husband, Neil, and I talk about our journey with addiction recovery very openly. There's older episodes where we share like our love story part one and part two where we talk about how he struggled with pornography addiction his whole life. But a little piece of that that you will hear in there is that Mandy, who I'm talking to today from Vintage Revivals was the one that told me about um, ARP. Well, actually, she didn't even tell me directly. What happened was my very best friend is Mandy's husband's cousin. 
which I know is like hard yeah. to. So Court's cousin is my best friend. And so my best friend knew when Neil and I were going through these struggles. She was there. In fact, like shout out to Kendall because she has been there for like every Yay! hard moment of my life I in know. the last. Kendall's yes. the best. She's incredible. But she was there. Like, she was the one that came and, like, held me while I fell apart after Neil and I broke off our engagement because he had relapsed. And she, I mean, she's just been there for me on some really hard times. But after we were married and things were still really, like, a struggle with his pornography addiction, she was like, you should read my cousin's um, blog post about, you know, they do this ARP thing. And you had written about ARP. And so I went to your blog and read your story and was so inspired by that. But it's funny how, like, people aren't ready until they're ready. And I read that post and was like, wow, this is awesome. But, like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. And for many reasons, like, just being nervous about going, walking into a meeting and who am I going to see there. And we were just worried about some of those things within our community in Utah. And, and my blog was brand new. And I was, like, worried about people recognizing us. Just silly things. <laughs> So it wasn't until probably a year after I read your story that I remember sending you, I think it was a Facebook message. And I said, okay, we're, we're like kind of a rock bottom-ish type place. Like I'm, I'm really fed up. What I'm thinking about trying that ARP thing that you wrote about, like, do you think that's a good idea? I know that like court had a drug addiction, Neil has pornography addiction and use. Do you remember what you said? I, I don't. Okay, well, I remember what you said. So you were like, yes, go to an ARP meeting, but make sure you go to a general addiction meeting. Oh, Um, yeah. Not a specific pornography, like, where they split off the men and the women, but, like, go together. So I would love for you to pick up the story there and tell all of your background, why you are passionate about that and I mean the the very short version of that is that like saved our lives it saved our marriage it saved everything that was the start of us finding like the real solution but I just want to hear like why you gave me that direction and then what your story is with yeah totally why you have a testimony of the 12 steps oh my gosh the 12 step program is so so amazing so I moved to southern Utah to go to college and I met Court. I was working in the mall at a place that sold fake hair. I don't know if you guys remember that, like the car with fake hair. <laughs> they and still have those in some malls. What? Oh, my yes, gosh. Yes, totally. If blogging fails me, I could totally go back there. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so I was working there, and his mom came in, and I was just helping her. She was like, oh, my gosh, you're so cute. You should meet my son. And I was like, yeah, sure, send him in. And then um, he came in a couple days later. And I literally loved him instantly. I thought that he was so cute. And I just, (laughs) there was just something about him. For those that are LDS that have seen Saturday's Warrior, it was like a Saturday's Warrior moment, like where I just wanted to sing about the, you know, pre-existence. And I just, (laughs) I loved him. And about six months into our relationship, he came to me and told me he was an addict and that he was addicted to prescription pain pills. And being super naive and raised in a very sheltered home, I didn't even know what alcohol smelled like. I didn't, I didn't understand the severity of addiction. I didn't understand the impact that, that it could have on someone's life. And when he told me that, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I can save you. I will fix you. And mm-hmm. I will love you so much that you will never want to use drugs ever again. And that was like, <laughs> literally, I thought that that was the plan. And I didn't realize until recently as we've been renovating the Merc 
um, I listened to a lot of like, you know, music and I always have headphones in. Literally every boy band song from the 90s is about the girls dating them. So no wonder I was no like, wonder. Seriously, like go listen to them like 98 Degrees. Thank you, Backstreet, Backstreet, Backstreet Boys. Boys. It's all their fault. There's as long as you love me. Codependence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's just, it's so crazy. So anyways, um, so I thought I could fix them and love them and save them. And um, it didn't really work out like that. So I was raised LBS. Um, I went to church my whole life. My best friends were in my ward. Uh, which is like my congregation, if you are not LDS. And the church so is very clarify social. That, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yes. Formally so, referred to oftentimes as Mormon, but we're trying to kind of correct that. But anyway, in case <laughs> someone's like, wait, what is that? So Yes. So my, my best friends were in my ward. And so church for me was very social. Um, mm-hmm. I had moments of, you know, cool spiritual experiences where I, I felt really connected to God and I felt, I felt like he heard my prayer. He understood me, but I mean, those are like pretty few and far between. I wasn't like actively striving for a relationship with God. I just like wanted to hang out with my friends when I go to church. Yeah. So oh, when I moved normal. to, totally normal. So when I moved to Southern Utah, um, I stopped going to church because when you go to college, you can have freedom. So I, mm-hmm. I decided I was not going to go to church and that I was going to go to Walmart at like three o'clock in the morning because I could. <laughs> and Sweet. so now I understand that that was probably the, the worst of the two choices, going to Walmart at three o'clock in the morning. So I stopped going. And when I met Court, still not going. And so we decided that we were going to get married and as one does, you know, being a drug addict and someone who was 18 and going to save them. And my parents were not super thrilled about it and kind of were like, no, you're, you're not getting married. And I was like, but I love him. And, (laughs) but I love him, daddy. I know. So we were engaged to be married in July. Um, We were going to get married in November. That did not happen. And in um, the end of December, I found out that I was pregnant with our oldest daughter, Ivy, who is now almost 16, just for time reference. And I was like, okay, we thought that it was going to be, you know, great and fine. Court was like, oh, good. I'm finally going to be sober. Um, Court had like gone to an inpatient or not, excuse me, an outpatient treatment center Mm -hmm. um, off and on and had kind of dabbled in recovery, but not not really at all. He just wasn't, he just wasn't really ready to. And there's like, should be a term for that. Cause Neil did a lot of that too, where you like show yeah. up to meetings or you show up to like an outpatient recovery, but you're not actually in recovery. Like, what is that called? We call that sober in our life. Like, when but like Neil sober, wasn't sober. <laughs> they're not in, there's, oh, true. Yes. So let's, we should come up with a term for that. Dabbling in recovery though is a good, yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, like your, your body is there, but like your mind and your heart and your spirit is not there. Right. I guess. You're not converted yet. um, Oh no, not at all. We ended up getting married in, in February. And at that time, Court's addiction just really escalated. When I met him, he was um, addicted to Lortab and Percocet and just kind of snorting pain pills. And by this time he had started right after we got married is when he started injecting oxycontin so like 
shooting it up with a needle. It was really, really scary. And in May, the beginning of May, I had a doctor's appointment. I was about, oh, five and a half, maybe six months pregnant at that time. Mm-hmm. And Court didn't have any pills that morning and could not come to the doctor's appointment with me because he was so sick. He had already started to <clears throat> withdraw just in those few hours that he didn't have anything to take. Wow. And it was, I mean, you would think, and there were, but like, there wasn't, this was like a very defining moment for me where I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I am 19 years old, 20 years old. I have a baby coming into this world. My husband can't even function. Like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. And so that night after I got back from work, I, I made court kneel down and pray with me. And I asked in that prayer, um, which I, I was not, you know, like an active churchgoer at the time. But I believe that my Heavenly Father could hear my prayers. And I believe that he also would not want a baby to come into this situation. And so I prayed that he would take court's addiction away. That that it would just be gone. You know, like one of the miracles that you hear yeah. about in the scriptures. And, and I believe with my whole heart that he could do that. And... I figured that we had suffered enough and that this just needed to like, we needed to move on with this. The next day I was working um, in the mall at a different place, not the hair place. (laughs) Um, And I got a call and I picked it up and said, hello. And it said, this is purgatory correctional facility. And will you accept the charges? Court had been arrested and because he was injecting um pills he had a syringe and a spoon and some pills on his person Mm -hmm. and so he was arrested and booked into jail with two I believe two secondary felonies and I was six months pregnant and I did not know what to do it was the most horrible moment of my entire life and I feel like the significance in that situation, the reason that I'm telling people this is, you know, you, you, you hear things and you see people that have these seemingly perfect, happy lives on social media. And if you follow Vintage Revivals, Court is very active in what we have going on, our projects and our, and our stuff. And you would never know looking at him and our relationship that we ever hit that place of him being gone and so I just want people to know like there there's hard stuff also yes and, well because um, you guys are to to add to that you're just like this funny happy couple like he's hilarious you're hilarious you guys have this beautiful home that is just like something out of a dream and yeah it's not like you would never look at that and be like I bet these I bet that dude was a drug addict like I bet he booked yeah, time totally. in jail when she was pregnant you know what I like you would never think that you would never ever think that so he was gone in jail and in rehab for six months he was in jail and then he went to an inpatient treatment center and while he was in that inpatient treatment center I went into labor with Ivy and I did everything I could to not have her it was like it was crazy. The treatment center that he was at decided that they would bring him to the hospital. 
And so I went hours without pushing because I did not want her to come without him there. And finally, she just like kind of came out by herself. I mean, I think I pushed like twice. Um, And then he got there 10 minutes later. They brought him in in handcuffs and shackles. And he was able to stay for an hour. And then he had to go back to treatment. Subsequently, it, it wasn't a great treatment center. And he was kicked out because that was kind of their process. And he went back to jail for two months. So Ivy was born in August and, and he didn't get home until the end of November. And that was a very, very hard time and a hard adjustment yeah. because here he was coming into a completely different world than anything he had ever experienced, especially experienced sober. And it was, it was really hard. It was really triggering. And he stayed sober this is the difference in sobriety and recovery. He didn't use drugs for about three years. He just kind of white knuckled it because he didn't want to go back to jail and he didn't want to go back to treatment. And he really did want to be a good dad. I think that's um, a really common misconception with addicts is that people just assume that they like to be sucky. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like you're totally, there's all these resentments, like you're making these choices and they're affecting me so negatively. And you obviously are finding joy in this or else you would make a different choice. And that's just not the case. Like, and I mean, there are some people who are like, whatever, this is, it's my life and I'll do whatever I want. And I don't really care. For sure. They have that attitude, even though I think most of them, even, even those people, I think know deep down and feel differently maybe. But I, oh, I agree with you that Neil's very much like court where like he, for at least in the 10 years that I've known him, he's never had a moment where he's like, whatever, I'm doing what I want. Like, it's always been no, like, a, I want to overcome this, even at the times yes. where he couldn't go even a few days streak, you know? Yep. A hundred percent. I think that's one thing that um, is hard for people who have not experienced addiction or not been kind of immersed into this world of recovery. You see, you see people at their face value and at face value, you know, my husband, the addict that pawned my wedding ring off so that he could buy drugs and that like was in rehab. And when his daughter was born and, and just all of these like really horrible things. But when I saw him, I mean, yes, I did see those things because they're kind of impossible not to see, but I also would get these glimpses of this person that he could be, or this mm-hmm. person he was supposed to be. And I saw them all throughout um, the time when we were dating and engaged and married. And it was like, they were just like these moments of, I guess, like spiritual clarity Mm, Yeah. where I would look at him and yes, he would be like sitting on the couch watching a movie, but I would see him and I would see his soul as opposed to just this human with all of his struggles and frailties that was sitting next to me. And I had moments like that. And that was what kept me, I think, um, going was that I just I loved him and I loved who he was supposed to be and anyway, you could see so him the he, way God sees him totally and I think that was such a gift because I know that that is not everybody's experience but you know I when I got married when I got engaged um 
I had other roommates who were getting engaged at the same time. And I swear it's like in this kind of like heavily LDS culture, you get engaged and then you pray about it. And people are like, oh my gosh, and angels. And I heard seen <laughs> and like, I knew this was my eternal companion and all this stuff, which if you've had that experience, like that is so cool. Good for you. My experience was like, I got engaged and all my roommates were getting engaged and they prayed and they had these cool experiences. So I was like, cool, I'm going to pray about it and make sure that, you know, marrying a drug addict is a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> and I prayed and it was like, um, Heavenly Father took a very fatherly approach and kind of was like, okay, Mandy, sit down. Let's have a talk. Mm-hmm. If you decide to go through with this and marry court, it's your choice, but if you choose to do it, it's going to be very, very hard, Yeah. but it will be okay. And that was like the feeling that I had. If you can like summarize that into like one feeling, that was the feeling that I had that it was like, okay, this is your choice. Yeah. If you choose to do this, it's going to suck really, really bad, but eventually it will be fine. And so that was kind of the approach that I had always had, like toward my marriage and just all the the garbage like I was like okay we just got to get through this part yeah, right <laughs> and I think that's a pretty common totally thread okay. with people who have codependent issues so like, yeah I can do oh, this 100 percent like I'm Which, just gonna speaking stick, of codependency um, stick it out you know yeah totally so um these three years at court was sober but not in recovery um that was when my addiction which is codependency really went to an extreme level. So codependency is really hard because it kind of looks different for a lot of people. And I didn't know that the behaviors that I had and the, my reasoning for doing things and the way that I acted was not an appropriate behavior or response. So like my go-to with codependency um, was emotional manipulation. So I would get crazy emotional over something to trigger a reaction in court mm-hmm. to see that I, that I was still was connected to him. And was this conscious or subconscious? I think it was subconscious. I don't think that, I mean, obviously when you're going through really hard things like crying and having fights and being dramatic and that, that feels like a normal response. Right. But for me, the, the motive behind it was to control him and to make him feel a certain way. And so those three years were really hard. You know, we both just struggled. We were trying to figure out who we were because we were still so young. We were trying to figure out what this life was supposed to look like for us and, and also recovery. And the thing is, like, the difference between sobriety and recovery is that Sobriety, you're just not using the substance, but all of the behaviors and all of the triggers and all of the character weaknesses are still the same Mm -hmm. and the patterns are still the same and the choices are still the same. You're just not using a substance. Right. Recovery is when you're actually working on those character weaknesses and those triggers and those patterns and those, those, um, just those defects that, that you just that are causing you to want to use mm-hmm. that is that's what recovery is so court was um was sober for three years and then ended up relapsing because it's a horrible situation to not be using and to have a crazy wife 
which I will, I was certifiably crazy. Like I, I was crazy. I will admit it. And just all of this stress. And so he ended up relapsing and was sober off and on over the next couple of years. I found out that I was pregnant with our middle daughter, Dylan, who is now 10. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really like a defining point because we were, we were separated and going to get a divorce and together and separate. And it was just like this really tumultuous time. And you know what, like, honestly, that was probably the, the worst part of addiction, of course, addiction, because I just, like, my heart goes out to people who are in that place in their marriage, because you, when you're separated, you don't want to put anything into the relationship, Mm -hmm. because it might not work out. But if you don't put anything into the relationship, then it's not going to work out. So just like that weird limbo place, that was so, that was so hard for me to be in. So my heart goes out to, to some people who are in that, in that space, because that is a really crappy place. But I found out that I was pregnant with Dylan and we decided that we were going to stay together. So he moved back in and we started going back to church and being myself and the codependent crazy person that I was, I was like, okay, so court would go in and talk to the bishop. We had a really, really wonderful bishop at the time. He was like the leader of our of our congregation. Mm-hmm. And he was young and he just he just really cared about court. So we would go and court would meet with him and he was still using and he wasn't ready to be sober. But then I would come in and I'd be like, I want to be sealed in the temple. When is that going to happen? I need a date. And the yeah. bishop's like, I can't give you a date. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I need a date. And it was just so, it was just so hard. So this bishop recommended that we go to the um, addiction recovery program meetings, which, um, so this was about, this was just over 10 years ago. Okay. So we started going and um, they were not huge meetings. There were not a lot of them. It was, there's a lot of bishops that don't know about the 12-step program and that don't recommend the 12-step program. Yes, um, this is But true. for some reason, <laughs> it, it's super true and it's really, really sad. And I understand that it's because they haven't experienced it and they're busy and I get it. But for some reason, our bishop was in a place where he could see the value of it mm-hmm. and recommended it to court. And it, it changed our lives. And it didn't change our lives instantly like we would go to the meetings and or court would say he was going to the meetings and he'd go golfing or he was like he used (laughs) for probably yeah um he would like attend the meetings and still use for probably six months and then just stop going to the meetings still using and finally we have this really cool experience so my and that's super common, by the way, like that. I think most so people common. show up loaded to their first meeting. Oh, yes. Or 100%. if their first five meetings or their first 10, you know what yep. I mean? Like it's, yep. that's a super common thing. And I think sometimes that holds people back from going to their first meeting. Like, yeah. oh, if I'm going to go be with like all these people that have it figured out, like, no, Neil loves to say like, nobody comes into these rooms on a winning streak. Um, no, that is a great, that's perfect. I mean, yeah. it's so true. And the best part about the 12-step program is that you are loved regardless of where you are. Yeah, you're accepted the moment you walk in. 
the moment that you decide to walk through that door, you have a group of people that care about your welfare and want you to be happy. And they get it. Um, whether you are completely high or not does not matter, mm-hmm. even a little bit. So, um, so we finally started going back. We had this really cool experience where my, so my grandparents would come to St. George and even in the worst of the worst, whenever they would come down, they always made it a point to see Court and I, whether it was something as small as going into our family restaurant where Court was working so that they could say hi to him, they always made a point to show up and let him know that they cared about him, which I mean, sounds like everything, you know, something like every grandparent ever would do. But imagine like their granddaughter having gone through everything that we'd gone through. Like, I don't know if I would have been that compassionate. And that's so cool. I mean, it makes me think of that's how the Savior was, right? He did everything like individually, one by one. He went, he sought after the one always. Yep. And they, they did such a great job with that. And in July of 2010, June of 2010, my grandma got really sick and ended up passing away. And it was, it was really, really hard, obviously, because we just loved her so much. But at her viewing, there were, there was a line of people that wrapped all the way around the church just to give their condolences to my grandpa. And my grandpa, who had lived, you know, married to her for, I think, like 56 years, was just heartbroken. It was so sad. And that seeing my grandpa like that, that was the first time in probably five years that Court had felt empathy and emotion for another person. That's one of the things that addiction does. You know, these substances and these behaviors, they numb all of our feelings. Yeah. So, so having um, feelings for another person was so profound for him. And it kind of started to crack his shell. Totally. And then in July, that was when I started Vintage Revivals. And I was getting ready to leave again for real this time. I, I was looking for jobs up in Salt Lake and I was ready to leave and and he it kind of he was like okay this is this is for real this time and so we went back to the 12-step program and I will never forget it it was a Wednesday night we were on step seven we walked into this room and we had our little baby Dylan she was like maybe five months old six months old and she's in her carrier asleep and we we walked in and there were the cutest old missionaries, this older <laughs> missionary couple. And man, they were just so happy to see us, which was so crazy because everyone else in our lives, like, especially Court, like no one wanted to be around him. Yeah. And also me, because I was just also crazy. Yes. And we went in and they just loved us. They Dylan woke up kind of in the middle of the meeting and Elder Wills went he came and got her and took her out in the hall and it was just something that I did not anticipate experiencing because it is scary going into those rooms for the first time especially in such a close religious community 
mm-hmm. you know, you go to church with these people, everyone knows everyone. There's all of these, like, I don't. People are striving to sound for weird, but like, yes, people want mm-hmm. to be as good as they can be. So they present themselves as good as they can be. And totally. so, so talking about struggles and flaws and reality doesn't happen in public places really much, I would say you know, like you have people that you, that you connect with, like your friends and stuff that you talk about, but just talking about it, like in church or it just doesn't really happen. And so Cor always says we speak fairly frequently. And he always says, I did not want to go to the 12 step meetings because I was going to walk in and it would be like Joe Schmo who's addicted to Pepsi. And here I am like a real drug addict. Right. And so there's kind of that, that perception I think that people have and so like, it just, I don't know. So we went in and all we felt was love and acceptance and hope. That was the biggest thing that I walked away from. In step seven, there's a scripture that I will remember till the day that I die and probably long after that. But in it, it says, along with Alma, you can exclaim, I can remember my pains no more. Yeah, I was hard up by the memory of my sins no more. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. And I remember sitting in that room being completely beaten up by life and sitting in the pain that I, that was like the only constant thing that I had had in my entire life, I swear. And it just, at least in my marriage. And I remember thinking, how? Like, how is that even possible that there could be joy as deep as this pain is? Yeah. Like, I don't think that it's possible because, you know, people um, people talk about how when they had their kids, that was the happiest day of their life and their marriage, the day they got married, the happiest day of their life. And like, all of these things in my life were diminished because of addiction. So yeah. that was supposed to be the happiest day in my life. Like that doesn't compare at all to the pain that I, that I'm living in. And so I, I very distinctly remember sitting there and I was so angry. I was so, so angry to be sitting in that room, but it gave me hope. And so over the next couple of months, we would go and court would still be using <laughs> and meeting my raging codependent self, he'd be like nodding off and I'd be throwing elbows saying, wake up and fill the spirit. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and it oh. just, oh man, it's just so bad. And eventually he, he got it. The, the spirit changed him and understanding his worth as a, as a human being and as a child of God started to take root in his heart and that that's what changes people Um, the savior and the atonement and working the steps I want to go back to something because I feel like we're connecting two of the dots that I've heard you say. So you talked about how court, like you guys went to that viewing and that court felt something, but then like 
but it was kind of just like he was barely breaking through one layer. And then you yeah. went to the, like after you'd been to several meetings and you kept going for a long time, like he felt the spirit and he finally got it. Don't you think that um, or I don't know, I'd be interested to hear your opinion of how addicts like they just don't feel things and explain more of that. And like how Court yeah. got to that point where he like was finally feeling something. So after he had been sober after he stopped using he was three days sober you have to know that when he got sober at the time he was working for his dad at um, our family restaurant and he went to his dad after he had like so repeatedly abused the relationship and disappointed him and there was there was a lot of bad feelings there he'd taken a lot of money it was just bad yeah but he went to him and told him that what was going on and told him that he had, you know, stolen money and that he needed to take time off of work so that he could withdraw from all of these pills that he had been on. And without hesitation, his dad said, yes, that that was fine. And so he was home and he was so sick, mm-hmm. like just physically, just, just just so sick and he the only thing he could do was sit in the bathtub like he just he was so sick and I remember the third day that he was withdrawing I walked in and he was um sitting on the on the in the tub and had his knees pulled up to his chest and was just sobbing like the kind of sobbing where you are completely inconsolable. And it broke my heart, of course, because no one wants to see anybody like that. But in that moment, that was where my hope started to break through. And, you know, addicts, there's so much numbing that happens with, with substances and behaviors. And they just don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Everything is so numb. And so that's like a really common thing when people start to get sober and they start to feel things. They just feel it. And it is really hard and really scary because now you have like this flood of emotion and you haven't cried for 10 years and now you just like can't stop crying. Yeah. And the weight of your choices is now you are facing it head on. Mm -hmm. And that was why, that was why Court was um, so emotional because he was like, what have I done with my life and to all of these people that I care about? And so that, that like getting feeling back is, um, that's a hard thing for addicts. Like every addict that I know, and I know a lot of addicts, (laughs) they, they talk about that. They're like, well, I just feel everything and it's, so stupid <laughs> but they're not used to it right because I and no, I think oh that, no not used to it at all and I think from like a wife's perspective f- being married to an addict for so long who was actively in his addiction for many many years like there were times where I was just like why don't you feel bad about this or why don't you feel more yeah. and it's like you can't understand and and one of the most validating things for me was when I finally heard someone say this is not, and it's different with like sexual addiction or pornography because you like, there's, there's a little bit of a, 
more of an opportunity to take it personally. Not that you don't take it personally if someone's drinking or doing drugs, but anyway, so for me, I remember just being like, why doesn't this feel wrong to you? Or why don't you feel more guilty? Or why don't you, I even got like a a direct message the other day from someone that was like, yeah, did it change when you found out you were having a daughter or that you were having girls um, for your husband? And I'm like, I look back and I'm like, I don't think that was like, it it never felt like it felt for him the way it felt for me. And then I finally heard someone say, all of this is pain management. Like it's n- yep. it's not about like doing something maliciously to hurt someone else or like this looks fun. It's almost always just I don't want to be bored or anxious or lonely or sad or feel yep. anything. So I'm going to numb it out Yeah, by like yep. whatever my drug of choice is. And then... I think like what you're describing with court, a lot of addicts, they do, they start to feel things and it's like, oh my gosh, I've never even experienced or I've been numbing out since I was six years old or 12 years old Mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, they've never even been an adult and had feelings. Yep. It is one of the most significant moments of my life. I think seeing him like that and seeing just the the desperation for relief Mm -hmm. that he, that he felt, but that instead of turning to pills, he was turning to the savior and finding, finding relief in him and in the atonement and being able to like work through all of those feelings. It, it is just, it's miraculous. It's amazing. Yeah. So where did that go? So he like detoxed and he's, you know, going through these withdrawals and then what happens? So he started going to meetings really regularly. I think he was going to four meetings a week and I would go to the Wednesday night meeting with him. That was like our meeting. And I remember very distinctly one of the meetings, he was probably like four or five months sober. So this was November of twenty of 2010 and sister wills the cute sister missionary that was that was there when we started going to the meetings pulled me aside and she was like oh honey you are such a codependent you have got to get into recovery for yourself and i was like offended almost (laughs) i was like what what do you mean i'm codependent like my husband's doing great i'm happy i just like want to tell him all the time that he's doing so great and I'm so happy and like every share that I had in meetings was always about court about his progress and um and she was like no no you're you're codependent you need to go to a meeting for yourself and you need to get into recovery for yourself and so I went to a women's only codependent meeting and it was the only meeting that I have never felt the spirit in. And I have been going to Wednesday night meetings for 10 years, literally every single week for 10 years. That is the single meeting that I did not feel the spirit. And it was because I was over analyzing every single thing that each of the women said so that I could pick up on their behaviors to see what codependency even meant. Like I, it was like addicts, like you either use drugs or you don't use drugs you look at pornography or you don't look at pornography like codependency is there it it doesn't have a defined behavior and so I so I went and I I was like this is I don't get it (laughs) 
I just don't, I don't get it. And one of the, one of the missionaries at the end of the meeting, I was talking to her and I was like, what does codependency mean? She recommended a book called Codependent No More. The best and so, book on codependency. The best book. It will change yes. your life. I think every human needs to read it. Me it's too. so good. So I went and got that book and I could not stop reading it. And it was like light bulb after light bulb. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do that. That's why I do that. And mm-hmm. all of these things. And so when I earlier, when I talked about my emotions and controlling court with my emotions and everything, like I was crying all the time and, and just all of this stuff. Well, after I read that book, we were having like a intense conversation about it. And I was like, I do this and I'm sorry. And I didn't know that that I didn't understand. And from that moment, from the moment that I read that book and realized that that was what I was doing, I, I turned it off. And so now I like only cry when I feel the spirit or when I'm like physically hurt. I, (laughs) I never cry when we're like having a, you know, an argument or like, there's just zero, there's zero payoff for me in it now because I know why I was doing it. Yeah. And so now I just, now I just don't cry ever. (laughs) Well, and to clarify, like I'm, I'm still like a big crier. Like I cry over everything. So crying doesn't necessarily like, right. No, no, you're an, you're a codependent, but I still, but like to your point, I, I totally have those codependent past behaviors that now I stop myself and I'm like, is this codependent or is it not, you know, like, are you in charge of your recovery right now or am I trying to take charge of it? And something that you said to me that was so powerful was your description of codependency was step aside, Jesus, I've got this. Yes. And (laughs) it's so true. That's a really easy measuring stick of like, am I trying to say like, no, you don't need Jesus. Like I'm your Jesus. Or are yes. you, you know, being loving, like, hey, I support you. You need to go to a meeting, go ahead or whatever, you know. Right. Well, the reason that I that I say that is not to be sacrilegious, obviously, but to show like my behaviors and the way that I was acting, that was the that was like the core of it. Like you need to be punished for your sins, like yep. on it. You need to feel bad. And feel guilty for the way that you're making your family feel. I can make you feel like that. Totally. You need to be saved by someone and protected. I will do that. Mm -hmm. Like all of those behaviors. And I worried about court so much that I was completely disconnected from myself and taking care of myself. And I just, I think that it is impossible to be in a relationship with an addict and not be codependent unless you are in recovery. Like it's just not possible. You know, we hear these terms like enabling and, and all of these things. And like, we recognize them, but without being in recovery, you don't have the tools to stop. Just like they don't have the tools to stop using. You don't have the tools to, to have a healthy relationship because you can't have a healthy relationship that's dependent on another person. So what did that look like when you finally got it? When you were like, oh, so you read Codependent No More, and then you were like, oh, this is totally me. <laughs> and yes, then, 100%. And then so I, after I read that, I started, I think that that's one thing that happens with recovery is that it, it teaches you something and gives you pause to think, what am I doing with this 
behavior and like, why am I trying to do this? And so I started working the 12 steps myself and the, the most profound moment in my recovery happened um, probably two months into it. And I, like every addict and like every person that I've ever talked to about quartz addiction, they all have the same question. What happens if he relapses? Like, yeah. aren't you worried about that? Aren't yeah. you worried that he's going to go back? And so I was in this place where I just, all of those feelings were starting to come up again. And it was like starting to be stressful. And I was starting to like, have a lot of anxiety about it and wanting to control things. And, and I, and I had a lot of resentments and a lot of bad feelings toward court. And I just, it came pretty like you know after eight years of a dysfunctional marriage it's hard to know how to have a normal relationship mm-hmm. and I remember sitting um on the side of my bed saying my prayers and just saying heavenly father I just do not want to hate my husband anymore <laughs> like all these bad feelings and if you've been through it, you know. There I have like said that prayer too. Dark, mm-hmm. yes, it's a good prayer. Um, if you've been through it, you know that there's just like this dark hole in your chest. And it's like you can physically feel it. Mm-hmm. And it is like pain. And it sucks every good thing into it. And all the good things just like disappear. It's just like this black hole of crap. And... And you can feel it. It's physical. Um, there's like physical triggers for me. Um, it was like my chest and then also in my legs, I could feel it. And it was like the most constant thing in, in my marriage was this feeling of sorrow. And so when I said that prayer and I was like, Heavenly Father, I just don't want to hate my husband anymore. I was feeling that feeling in my chest. And I asked him to please take it away that I, I told him that I would not bring up things in the past. There would not be like a rehashing of choices that I, that I wanted to move forward in my life and in my marriage. And if he would take it, that I could do that. And he did. Um, It's so weird. So like, when I focus on what that feeling felt like, that mind you, is like the most constant feeling in my entire marriage. Mm-hmm. I felt it all the time. When I try to remember what it felt like, I cannot remember what it feels like. Like it's like my body doesn't remember that yeah. feeling. And all I feel instead is like this swelling in my chest that reminds me that it's gone, that the savior because of his atonement made it possible for me to not feel all of those bad things anymore and that I can move forward with my life and that is my miracle that's something that I can talk about and you know court knows about but like that is my healing and that is something that is so special and sacred to to me because it happened to me it's not something that I experienced for somebody else or watch somebody else do it's mine 
Yeah. And so that's your own that, experience that was of what, utilizing the Savior's atonement and how that, how it felt for you. Well, I think that that's one thing that's so hard about um, the atonement is like, you know, we hear about it all the time. We, we know about the atonement. We learn about it. But the atonement is not something that you learn. The atonement is something that you experience. Yes. And if you try to learn it, you can learn all of the like bookwork and all of the facts and all of the things. And you can feel the spirit for sure as you're learning about it. Mm-hmm. But when you experience it, it changes you. It changes every, it's like just the most significant paradigm shift that you will ever have because yeah. it happens to you. And the cool thing about it is that because it happened to me, I don't have to worry about court anymore. Like all of those feelings were gone. The savior took them and I get to make my own choices Mm -hmm. and court also can experience this kind of healing and he gets to make his own choices and his choices don't well they do affect me because obviously we're married and I love him and I think he's he's great and I hope he always only makes good choices if that doesn't happen it's okay because you know how to be okay yeah I don't have to shoulder that I'm not Mm -hmm. his savior Mm -hmm. I don't have to I can I can love him and I can make choices for myself amen sister (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I experienced, and I don't know, I, I'd i be curious to know, was that something that you did with one of your steps or was that just something that you, that happened? Yes, it actually, it was step three. Step three, or the first three steps, I can't remember who said this, someone in the meeting, but they said step one is like saying, I can't. Mm-hmm. Step two is like saying he can. And step three is like saying, I think I'll let him. Yep. And for me, step three is so much about, you know, it's about turning your will and your life over to Heavenly Father. And it was so huge for me because I not only had to turn my will and my life over, but I had to turn court Mm -hmm. over to him also. And when I was able to do that, that is what changed everything because I wasn't seemingly in charge of him anymore and so step three is probably the the most profound step in my life and you taught me that too I'm I don't know how much you remember of this but when I was having my like real rock bottom moment and called you and was flipping out and you were like well do you just want me to listen or do you want to do something about it and I was like, I'll do anything. And you were like, you need to do your steps. And I was like, well, this sucks because I'm supposed to be on step two, which is hope. Like, where am I supposed to have hope? Yeah. And you yeah. said, you just need to do step three. And that yeah. that was a huge <laughs> moment for me of really releasing just like a thousand pounds of bricks and just handing it over to the Savior and saying, I'm not going to carry this around anymore. And yep. physically, like I physically remember feeling like someone took that away from me and I was free for the first time yep. in, at the well, time, seven years. And now it's been 10, but at, at the time it was like, seven, I remember telling Neil, I'm seven years tired of this. Yep. So It's um, exhausting. 
It's exhausting. Well, I mean, an addict is freaking exhausting. Yes. And then it's interesting <laughs> hearing your story of just feeling like that resentment was gone. Because for me, that happened in steps like six and seven, where I knew that was kind of one of my favorite things. That was like my security blanket of if you hurt me, I get to be mad at you and I get to hate you for it. And then when I looked at step six and seven and asking God to take away my character weaknesses, I was like, am I ready to give that up? Because I kind of like it because it makes me feel justified in being angry, you know? Yep. And then when I gave that up, I I had that same experience that you had, like – Every fight that we had up until then, it would oh, it's like Neil would make me mad about one thing, and it's like everything came back to you the will surface. You suffer for everything you've yes. ever done wrong for yes. the last seven years. Yes. And that's how I felt <laughs> until I finally was humble enough to do step seven. And when I really did it sincerely, it's like what you describe. I just want to add my like testimonial to that that I have never since had a moment where I felt like not only am I mad at you for this dumb thing you're doing in this moment, but I hate you for everything else you've ever done and everything you've put me through and I'll never forgive you. And I'll like, you'll always owe me. Like I felt that way for so many years. Yeah. And yet when I did that step seven and asked God to take away my character weaknesses, I knew that was going to be the hardest one to let go of. And I really have felt released from that resentment of, just carrying around that like anger and and resenting yep. Neil for everything he had ever done to hurt me. So it's it is absolutely incredible what the atonement of Jesus Christ can do for people like if you're willing to let him help you. Yep. And I'm I know how crazy this sounds to people who are in the throes of it mm-hmm. right now. Like I know I know what this sounds like and it sounds like we're making it up, but we are not making it up. Mm-hmm. It is real. And not only do those things and like the desire to like rehash every sucky thing that has ever been done to you every time you have a fight, those things like are literally gone from my memory. Right. There are very significant things that people get divorced over that happened in my marriage that I don't even remember what happened. Like, honestly, I know how crazy that sounds, but it is real. And it's because we're not meant to carry this weight. Like, you know, we think about Jesus and we think about him saying, you know, place your burdens at my feet and, and turn things over to me and I will take care of them. And we don't know what that looks like. In my mind, it, it's like, it has to be like this, or it had to be like this proper thing where I'm like carrying my bundle of pain and I like gently place it at his feet and then I like say thank you and walk away and that's not it at all (laughs) if you think about what a person who is struggling under this crippling weight of choices and life and sins and weaknesses what if that was manifest into a, a tangible physical thing and someone was carrying that on their back what that would look like and you would literally be crawling toward him and I just picture like getting to getting to him getting to his feet and just like dying (laughs) the stuff and then he moves it off of you and you like slowly like 
roll away groaning because you have been so beat up by this. There's nothing like glamorous or proper or um, I don't know what the right word is. Like it's not some pretty thing that like, yeah, it's not like it's not supposed to be. He will accept it with our tear stained mud cakes faces and all of our stuff and he will take it and he doesn't expect us to do it in you know a way that it's like wrapped up with a bow and then we give it to him and walk away like no one who could do that would need a savior right at all we just have to we just have to leave it with him and he will take it and it is it's amazing so if someone's listening to this and they're like, I want what she has, how do they get it? So first, what you'll do is you'll go to this website called Google <laughs> and you will type in LDS dot. It actually crap. just changed. It up, no, it's sorry. okay. I know this, the website. It's arp.churchofjesuschrist.org. Okay, there you go. arp.churchofjesuschrist.org. So you'll put your zip code in and find a meeting in your area. They have them all over the world. Places that have heavily concentrated members usually have more meetings. So like in Southern Utah, we have 30 plus meetings a week and show up, just go. Don't, I, I promise that no one will judge you. If you happen to run into someone that you know there, you will feel so much love and acceptance that it will make your head spin and just go and go feel the spirit because the spirit in a 12-step program meeting is unlike the spirit that you will feel anywhere else because if you think about it you know when Christ was here on the earth what did he spend his time doing who did he spend his time with he was helping people who were struggling and lost and he he wasn't you know with all of the higher up people of the church and he was in the trenches and that is exactly what the 12-step program is and you will find him there. I promise. I agree with that with all my heart and circling all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation too, when you gave me that advice, go to a general ARP meeting. Why? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is my personal opinion. So don't take it. Just, just take it with that. Um, but I think that there is something that is so profound when you go to recovery meetings with your spouse, Mm -hmm. because you will get a different perspective on what they're struggling with. And, um, I feel like sometimes the women's only meetings can get a little like complainy maybe like well and yeah I have so much compassion for those women because I've been there where you are holding this secret inside a lot of times for it's it's a secret like for me it was we were not open about Neil's pornography addiction for a very long time so it's like you're bottling it up you are dealing with these horrible things and you finally get into a room where other people understand and you just want to like word vomit everything but it can feel super heavy and you go home like I would go home more angry at Neil than I was in the first place because I would be like, now I don't only hate you for your choices, but now I hate all the men for all the things that they're doing to their, you know yes. what I mean? There is nothing better than hearing your spouse share their testimony of this Savior and sharing the reality of the atonement in their life. Honestly, like it takes every bad feeling that you have away 
because you're like, this is what it's about. It gives you perspective and it gives you hope that Mm -hmm. even if they're having, you know, a sucky day or week or month, that they're still trying. Yeah. And for me, there was Um, something so magical too about it. And that didn't happen for me immediately. Like at first I was still mad at Neil for quite a while when we first started going, (laughs) but I would hear other people say the same words that he was saying, but I wasn't, I had no emotional connection to them and my heart would break for them when they would just like these grown men would start breaking down and crying saying, I want to stop hurting my family, but I just don't know how. And then Neil would hear other women sharing, saying like this happened and it was devastating or I feel this way. And he would be like, oh, that's, that's the same thing Corinne says to me, except like I'm hearing it from this other woman who I don't have a connection with. And it created like this duality of compassion where we started to understand each other through the words of other people. Yes. Oh, that's so good. It's just, it's the best place. The general recovery meetings, like the specialty ones are great, but the recovery for all, it just, it helps you, I believe, also see that a specific type of addiction is not necessarily a problem. So like, if you only go to men's pornography meetings, you begin to think that pornography is Pornography is just a common thread with all the participants. So everyone's talking about pornography and how it's affected their life. But when you go to a general recovery meeting and you have people there talking about pornography and you have their people talking about meth and you have their people talking about alcohol and people talking about eating disorders Mm -hmm. and gambling, you see that the behavior is the the common thread. The choice, like, it's just, it's just different. There's just, I feel like if you're struggling in your marriage and you're struggling to find compassion for the addicts in your life, which we all do because addicts when they're actively using are kind of crappy people. (laughs) So it's warranted. We, I, it's fine, but you'll find compassion in those meetings because you'll see people who at face value are really crappy people. You know, they've been in jail. There's, they've you know done a lot of really bad they're just doing really crappy things to other people yeah 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 totally like selling your ring so that they so you know so they can get right like one hit of something or I mean that's just that's like textbook it's crappy yeah Yeah. but then you also see them sharing their heart and that seeing them struggle with trying to become different and it changes you it's so good And I, so after court had, and I had been in recovery for about a year, they called us to be missionaries. And so we, for the last seven and a half years, have been missionaries in the 12-step program. So we were in, um, we had our meeting that we did every Wednesday night. It was our same Wednesday night meeting that we started going to. And I have seen miracles happen in that room. Like literally miracles that you would write about in the Bible people change they do people change Mm -hmm. I I mean I think the world likes to tell you that some people are are too far gone or they've they've done too much but they they can't be made whole but they change and it happens all the time and it's so amazing yeah I agree I have seen 
the same thing too. And I remember, it's funny, there's a place in like the manual where it says like, when you first start coming to meetings, you may wonder yeah. why everyone's so happy. And that was my experience. <laughs> like, why is everybody, like, this is such an act. There's no way these people have gone through what we're going through. And then, you know, if you stick with it and the miracle happens to you too, like, eventually you'll be that person who's like smiling, happy, and and a 12-step meeting that you once were like, this is the worst thing ever that this is our life. It will be, like, for me, it's like, we don't want to yep. miss that meeting. It's our favorite yep. time. Like, that is our highlight of our week, going there and feeling the spirit and hearing other people's experiences and just being uplifted by the spirit of pe- people who are there that yep. just want to change. And, and the reality and, is that court's addiction yeah. and my addiction, they are the single greatest blessings of my life. Like the number one best thing that has ever happened is, um, is addiction because it, it taught me more about my savior than I would have learned any other way. And I am so grateful for that. Um, if this is the price that I have to pay that I've had to pay to know him, then it's worth it. It's, it's always worth it because he is so loving and so compassionate and so understanding. And he has the power to heal even our deepest wounds and sorrows and make them into something that can be used for good. It's, it's an incredible reality, I guess. Reality is the only, the only word that is appropriate. I feel the same. I And I used to hate it when I would hear people say, yeah. like, oh, I'm so thankful for my addiction. <laughs> totally. Like, what is so wrong weird. with you? And, and I feel the same. I feel like because we've been through what we have, I yep. know the Savior in a different way than I did in my, and all those church going years where I had a testimony of a Savior and I read the scriptures and I believed in God and I believed in prayer. Yep. It's different because of how hard I've had to work to to know Jesus yep. the way the way you're describing. It, it really is such, is a gift. such a gift. So I want to add too that those meetings, arp.churchofjesuschrist.org, are open to anyone. It does not you do not have to be a member of our church. We have, in fact, last night we had a man who comes regularly who's not a member and we love that he comes uh, meaning like he's not a member of our church it is more religious though like and if someone is just looking for hope or for some type of program like there are tons and tons and tons of 12-step programs that are non-denominational and if that's a better fit for you and that's where you're going to find help that 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 is a great place to start too yeah so the the LDS 12-step meetings are based off of the AA 12-step. It's just, instead of talking about a higher power, it defines the higher power as Heavenly Father and as Jesus Christ. So right. that's just the, the little difference. But That's the main difference. But it really is such a loving, accepting yep. place. Anyone is welcome. So, and that's been our, you know, both yours and mine, our experience of just like you said, you walk in and people just love you instantly. Yep. 
And that's such a beautiful thing to experience. So I just am so grateful, Mandy, that you would come today and share. I know you have so much going on in your life, but oh my gosh, um, of course, that you would I, share this and just that, like that, that one little step of you guys walking into a meeting. Look, look how many people you've been able to help and to, and also I just like we'll put this in the show notes, but your written um, experience that you were willing to put on your blog and break anonymity and talk about how the 12 steps saved your marriage that also saved our marriage so I'm I will forever be grateful for that well thank you I'm so grateful to have you in my life too and where can people find you if they are have just fallen in love with you today and they want to follow along and read your blog and (laughs) plant plants with you and do all those things where can they find you so I am Vintage Revival pretty much everywhere. So VintageRevivals.com, Vintage Revivals on Instagram, um, Vintage Revivals all over the place. Okay. And that's the awesome. best place to find me. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mandy. I sure love you. Love you so much. I'll talk to you later. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast, and you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox, and we'll email you every time there's a new episode.